0: Well, we've been in this series called "I Have a Friend Who Says," and it's some of the tough questions that people have about believing in God and questions that can be stumbling blocks for faith. First Peter three fifteen has been the theme verse for this series. We we've, we've talked, we've looked at it every week, and just I've said it. I want you to say it with me today. All right? Uh, when we get it, okay. I will just read it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. When a friend who asks why a good God would allow suffering, or if science has disproven Christianity, when they ask questions like that, we should be prepared to give an answer. And that's what this series is about, understanding why we believe what we believe. But do it with gentleness and respect. So today I have a friend who says the Bible is not a reliable source of history. Isn't the Bible filled with myths and legends that were made up by the early church? Doesn't the Bible have a lot of errors in it? Uh, how do we know it's historical? So I'm going to focus on the New Testament today, uh, partly because of time, but also because the historicity of Jesus is crucial to our faith. So I want to give several reasons we believe the Bible is trustworthy and historical. Now, some say the Bible was written hundreds of years after the events. There's are 2nd accounts passed down and written by people several generations after Jesus. And the Bible came to us kind of like the game of telephone. You know, you tell someone, and they tell another, and they tell another, and on, you, know, you pass it on and everything. And, of course, the original message gets all garbled after several pass-ons to the point that the original message has been lost. The truth is, the more manuscript evidence we get, the more archaeological finds we discover, the evidence shows that the accounts of Jesus were written within the first generation. So on your outline, the evidence shows that the Gospels were written by eyewitnesses within 40 years of the events described. It is generally accepted that Matthew was written eh, from 50 to 70 A.D., that was 20 to 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Many believe Mark was written earlier than Matthew. Luke, around 60 or so, 30 years after Jesus. Uh, Paul's letters would have been around 65 A.D. James, as early as 40 to 45 A.D., only 10 to 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, let's bring it into modern-day context. Seventy years ago, what was going on? World War II, right? 1944, World War II. Now, we can still talk to people who were in that war and ask what it was like, what was it like? Did they really shoot guns? Uh, were there tanks and planes really? Or was that just a myth? Did we really drop a bomb on Japan? It'd be pretty easy to re- confirm or refute what went on 70 years ago. There's still eyewitnesses around, plus all the manuscript evidence. They're called newspapers, you know, reporting on that war. And it's pretty safe to say, eh looks like World War II really happened. Now, someone said, well, I was there 70 years ago, and I saw Superman come, and he used his X-ray vision to destroy enemy tanks, and he used his super breath to blow enemy planes out of the air, and he used his speed and strength to knock out enemy hideouts. Okay? We can ask, did anybody else see this? You know, we can ask thousands of people who are still alive today, did any of you see this Superman guy? And if not, the Superman theory would probably die out pretty soon and be refuted as untrue. We can verify or refute that claim from 70 years ago. If Jesus really did not do those things, like the miracles and rising from the dead, it would be pretty easy for the enemies to refute it, and it would have died out. But it didn't. Now, what was going on 40 years ago? 1974, roughly. The big issue of the 70s, Watergate. Does anyone doubt the historicity of Watergate? We can verify the events. Now, back to the Bible. It is not just one account of those events, but at least the four accounts about the life of Jesus, which agree in the main uh, points, plus 500 witnesses, plus 23 other books, plus thousands and thousands of people believed it was true based on the evidence, and we have other non-biblical sources that talk about Jesus. Josephus was a Jewish non-believer, and he writes, at this time there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. His disciples reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion, that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. Now, that's exactly what the Gospels say. And Josephus said, yeah, that's the story of Jesus. Accounts given in the New Testament agree with the evidence from secular and Jewish Historians Tacitus was a Roman historian in the first century, makes three references to Christ. Suetonius was a writer in the second century, refers to Christ. The Talmud refers to him. Uh, Heretics refer to Jesus. All in all, there's 39 ancient sources outside the Bible that provide over 100 facts about his life, teachings, death, and resurrection. There's a little doubt that Jesus existed and that it was claimed that he rose from the dead. Next, on your outline, the Bible has proven remarkably accurate in what it says about other details in the ancient world. Luke cites 32 countries, 54 cities, 9 islands, and several rulers, and he's accurate. He speaks of different types of governments and political positions in different countries, different cultural and religious matters, and he was accurate. At one time, people doubted that Pontius Pilate was a real person, or at least questioned it. And then after some archaeological and other historical events, evidence, we found that indeed he was the governor at the time of Jesus. Next, the literary style of the New Testament is not legendary. We can compare scripture with other legends and it's not even close. The flavor, the atmosphere is different. The New Testament is so much more realistic. There's names and dates to pin the story down in history. It contains details that legends don't bother with. It's just not legendary type material. If you were to read the Iliad, you can tell there's a difference between the two. If I start a story with these words, once upon a time, what do you think? Eh, fairy tale, you know, probably not a true story. When you read legendary literature, there, there's, you can tell a difference. There's clues. One summer I had to read the Gnostic Gospels and several other non-biblical works for a seminary class, and there's a difference. You can tell. One is legend. The Bible is not. Next, the text itself is amazingly accurate. And the rest of this sermon I got from a scholar named, largely from a scholar named Dr. Daniel Wallace. He's done extensive work on these matters, perhaps the preeminent scholar on this issue. And one of the questions is, is the text we have today the same as the original manuscripts you know that Paul actually wrote, Luke actually wrote? Some would argue that all we have are copies of the originals and we cannot be sure of the accuracy of those copies. Has it been translated so many times that we have no idea what the original text said? Again, like the game of telephone it's just been translated so many times. Do you remember The Da Vinci Code? Dan Brown, okay? Uh, when that came out, I read it and I loved the story. It was fast-moving, well-written. And it was one of the popular books that show and try to show that the Bible is not reliable. Here's one line out of that book. The Bible has evolved through countless translations, editions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. So has the Bible been translated and retranslated so many times that we cannot possibly get back to the original? Now, we also have atheists, of course, who say the same thing. C.J. Wuerlman wrote a book called Jesus Lied. And before that, he wrote a book called Now, get this title. God hates you, hate him back. Now, this is written by an atheist. God hates, in other words, the one who doesn't exist hates you, so hate the one who doesn't exist back. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, in this book, he says, we don't have any of the original documents of the Bible. The originals are lost. We don't know when and we don't know by whom. What we have are copies of copies. In some instances, the copies we have are 20th generation copies copies. Another says, the more I study the manuscript evidence of the New Testament, the more I realize just how radically the text has been altered over the years at the hands of the scribes. So, the accusations of the church has changed the text so much, so radically, that it's really difficult to try to get back to the original wording. In fact, it has changed the message, and who Christ is in these uh, minds of these scribes has been changed. And so Dan Brown asserts something like Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. So how do you respond? I have a friend who's read the Da Vinci Code. What are you going to say? Let me give you two extremes to avoid. The first is radical skepticism. This says we can't possibly tell what the original text said. It's been translated so much we have no idea what it said. And we're going to show that this is held only in ignorance. Uh, People who say this have no clue what they're talking about. The other extreme to avoid, and this is a view that many Christians typically succumb to, and that is the absolute certainty. This view says the Bible I have in my hands is exactly the Word of God in every single word. And that is a view that is unsupported by the evidence. Now, I remember when the NIV first came out, and that's what I preach from and a lot of us use. It was 1984. I was still in seminary. Now, if you have an NIV, it's probably the 1984 version. Or if you've gotten a newer one, it could be the 2011 version. And there's about two dozen, not very many, two dozen places where the wording has been changed, either because of new manuscript evidence or because some scholars said, you know, we're convinced now that this is the original wording rather than that. So, if you have a 1984 NIV and say, I am absolutely certain that this is the Word of God in every single respect and then you buy a 2011 NIV and say the same thing, you are contradicting yourself. Okay? We don't have absolute certainty about what is exactly the Word of God in every place. So, the question, don't we have the original New Testament anymore? The answer is no, we do not. Well, what about the many scriptures we do have? Don't they all agree? Don't they all say exactly the same thing? No, they don't all agree. In fact, there are no two New Testament manuscripts that agree exactly. And completely, none. Because of the disappearance of the originals, I don't want to talk about that. Why did God allow the originals to be lost anyway? We'll talk about that. Because of the disappearance of the originals and because of the differences among the manuscripts, scholars have to try to compare these manuscripts when they do a thing, what's called textual criticism, to get back to the original New Testament. And these differences in the text are called Variants. And a variant is any place among the manuscripts in which there is a variation in wording. It could be word order, it could be a word omission, or an addition of a word, or spelling differences, whatever is different. So how many variants are there? Well, there's approximately 140,000 words in the Greek New Testament. If you want to be more precise, there's 138,162 words. That will be on the quiz at the end of the sermon. Okay, 138, 162. So how many variants do we have? You ready? There's about 400,000 variants in the Greek New Testament. So we have approximately two and a half variants for every word in the New Testament on average. Well, that's good news. Let's just shut the door, go home, and turn off the lights. It's over, over, Right? John Mill was an early textual critic during the Reformation era. When he started studying this and pointing out some of these variants, Protestants looked at John Mill's work and said, this is the work of the devil to show these variants. And if this is all the evidence we had we stopped right there, we'd all be freaking out. They like, say, we can't possibly get back to the original. There's so many mistakes. We'd all hold to this radical skepticism, and that's what the radical skeptics want you to see. They don't want to tell you, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Have you seen any of the political carto- cartoons? <laughs> political commercials? They are cartoons. You think you're getting the whole story? Mm, no. You know, and so that's what radical skeptics, you're not going to get the whole story. Let me give you two considerations about this. First of all, is the number of manuscripts. The reason we have so many textual variants, which we'll see in a minute, really isn't that many, is really simple. We have tons of manuscripts, lots of manuscripts. We have officially, this is going to be on the quiz, 5,839 Greek New Testament manuscripts. Got to remember that. Now, this is a huge number, and they're not just tiny fragments either. The average size Greek New Testament manuscript, now we're talking about documents handwritten, okay, before the printing press, the average size of these manuscripts is 459 pages long. There are more than 2.6 million pages of these manuscripts. The New Testament is also translated into other languages. Latin, Coptic, Syriac, Georgian, Ethiopian, Armenian, Old Church, Slavonic. We have more than 10,000 just Latin manuscripts, handwritten of the New Testament. In total, we have about twenty to 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that are all important for us to try to get back to the wording of the original. So, let's compare that to the average classical work, whether it be a Greek or Latin author, about the time of the Bible. Okay, the New Testament... 58, 39, actually we should say 20 to 25,000 total. Homer has 2,000 manuscripts. He's by far the largest of any other outside of, the, outside of the New Testament. And Homer comes in at less than 10% of what we have for the New Testament. Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, we have 10 manuscripts. And the earliest of those are 1,000 years after it was written. Now, no one questions the historicity of the Gallic Wars, and those copies were 1,000 years removed from the original, and we only have 10 The average number of manuscripts for the Greek-Roman authors is 20. And some, we only have two or three. So what we have, if you want to visualize this, a stack of New Testament manuscripts that goes up 6,600 feet high, more than a mile high, if they were all stacked on each other. The average classical author, four feet. Okay? Second issue is the age. Not just the number, but the age of the manuscripts. The earliest copy of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars is 1,000 years after he wrote. Plutarch, 800 years. Now, we have 200 copies of Plutarch, which is very high for a classical author, but we're waiting 800 years after Plutarch wrote (coughs) before we get any copies at all. Josephus, 800. Polybius, 1,200. Pausanias, 1,400. Herodotus, 1,500. Uh, Herodotus is one of the two great ancient historians writing in the 5th century B.C., and we're waiting 1,500 years before any manuscript of any substantial size. And yet Herodotus scholars will say, well, we've got what he tells. I mean, we we pretty much know what Herodotus said. It may not be exact in every detail, but we're not going to be so skeptical as to think that we don't know what he said. Xenophon's Hellenica, 1,800 years removed. Another ancient Greek writer, 1,800 years before we get more than just a tiny scrap from his work. Now, If we were waiting 1,800 years after the completion of the New Testament, before we got anything you know, than just some tiny fragments, that would be saying the earliest copy we have of the New Testament would have been written about the time of the Wright brothers inventing the airplane. Would we say, oh, yeah, that that certainly goes back to the New Testament. We know it's accurate. Eh, We might be a little skeptical. And yet that's what the classical authors are dealing with all the time. Very few manuscripts that come so much later, and that's all they have to go on. And it just seems like God wanted to make sure there's any doubt. He goes back to one generation. We have manuscripts. P-52 is the earliest one. That's on the test, too. Uh, From John's Gospel, P-52, just a tiny fragment. It's dated to the 90s, give or take a few years, about 60 years after Jesus. So it is a copy, but it's a copy of that goes back to the first century. And until this discovery, some scholars were claiming that the writings of John were not historical, could not have been written by John. They were written so much later, you know, like 160 or, or later, at least 100 years after John lived. But finding that little bit of a manuscript blew that whole theory about John's Gospel out of the water. John wasn't written late. Now, Dr. Wallace says an ounce of evidence is worth a pound of presumption. And that presumption that many scholars had that John was written much later is just blown apart just by that little bit of evidence. I don't know about you, but I grew up in Wisconsin, public school system there, and I was taught that, generally speaking, the original of a document is not written later than a copy of the document. Did you get that? The original is not written later than the copy. Do they teach that in Illinois schools? Is that part of Common Core? (laughs) Let's not go there. (laughs) Because our faith is a historical faith based on actual happenings in history. This is big news. This is critical. P-52 is actually an amazing discovery, and it's not just that one. We have as many as a dozen papyri from the 2nd century, and by the time we get to the 300s, the 4th century, we have over 120 manuscripts of the New Testament through those first three centuries, and what do you have for the classical texts after 300 years? Zippo. But they're historical. So it doesn't matter how you slice this. If we're talking about the number of manuscripts or the date of the manuscripts, the New Testament comes out way, way ahead of all other classical documents. Now, you can believe the New Testament is a myth, and it's a legend, and it's been corrupted, but the evidence is strongly in favor of its accuracy. Yeah, but what about those variants and the differences in the manuscripts? What, what kind of textual variants are there? Well, over 99%. In fact, a lot of scholars say about 99.7% make no difference at all as far as the message of or the original. What it The vast majority of our textual variants can't even be translated. Most of them are just differences in spelling. Or, I don't know, but many of them are. Dr. Wallace says the most common textual variant we have is what's called the movable new. Now, that's like an N, you know, at the end of a word when the next word starts with a vowel like a apple or an apple. You know, some have a, some have an. Now, in chestnut, they would say a apple. We say an apple. It's bad grammar, but we all understand what they mean. So, that new, that N makes no difference. Now, in Greek, here's another thing you can say John loves Mary 96 different ways in Greek. And if you use different verbs uh, for love and some legitimate word orders, the number is something like 1,200 different ways you can say John loves Mary in Greek. So one text may say John loves Mary one way, another another way, but it makes no difference in the meaning. And the vast majority of these variants really are meaningless. So if you hear there's 400,000 textual variants among the New Testament manuscripts, you really ought to say, really? Is that all? We've got so many manuscripts. There could be tens of millions of variants that don't affect a thing. 400,000 means nothing. Those early scribes were amazingly accurate. They they were meticulous about passing on an accurate Bible. 400,000 out of 2.6 million pages is nothing. Now, if we had fewer manuscripts, we'd have fewer variants. If we had only one manuscript, we'd have no variants. Well, what kind of variants do affect the meaning you know, by some estimates, again, it's about one quarter of one percent that affect the meaning anywhere in in the New Testament. Very, very tiny amount. I'm gonna give you one example. Mark 929. Now, if you looked in your Bible app on your phone, you may not see this. It probably doesn't have it. Mine doesn't anyway. But if you looked at an actual real Bible, paper Bible, you'll probably see this. Just kidding. There's a textual variant that is both meaningful and viable. After the disciples try to cast out some demons, they were unsuccessful, and they came to Jesus, and they were complaining to Him, and apparently these pesky demons wouldn't come out the normal way, and so Jesus said to His disciples, He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer, and then you, if you have that, you probably have a footnote in your Bible that says, this kind can can be cast out by prayer and fasting. The earliest manuscripts don't have and fasting, but most manuscripts do have and fasting, and scholars aren't really sure. They've had to wrestle with this, so... Do these demons come out by prayer or prayer and fasting? They go back and forth and debate on this. And so you'll have this little footnote. Eh, Some manuscripts have this. Is that important? Well, yeah, if you're casting out demons, it is important. But I know of no Bible college, no seminary, no denomination, no theological institute, and no church that says in their doctrinal statement the following... We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the atonement of Christ and His bodily resurrection. We believe in the second coming of Christ. And we believe that both prayer and fasting are required to cast out demons. No, it's not a foundational doctrine. Here's what Dan Brown says. In AD 325, they didn't just define the deity of Christ, they invented it. He says, in particular, the Emperor Constantine invented the that Jesus is God in 325 at this Council of Nicaea. Well, there's another important early papyrus document, P66, dated about 175, about 150 years earlier than the Council of Nicaea and earlier than Constantine. It's John chapter 1. I want you to read this with me. In the beginning was the Word. Was God. Every single manuscript we have of John 1, verse 1, regardless of the date, says essentially the same thing. There are two variants, but they don't affect the statement at all. And Jesus is unequivocally called God in John 1, 1, and in this uh, papyrus, it's 150 years before Nicaea. Dan Brown, you are wrong. Now, not only that, but the same could be said for major passages that affirm his virgin birth Jesus, his sinlessness, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his second coming, you know, the basics of the Christian faith. The Council of Nicaea did not invent the deity of Christ or any other teaching about Jesus. And it's so sad because Americans are so gullible and will believe what they want to believe instead of looking at the evidence. People can use statistics to say what they want to say. Four hundred thousand variants, and and Christians even oh the sky is falling. Chicken Little, you know how can we get out of this mess with all these variants? What are we going to do? And the reality, it doesn't affect the essentials of the Christian faith at all. I may not know exactly what the Bible says in the original, you know, tit for tat and word for not, but this I can bank on that. No essential teaching of the Christian faith is in jeopardy because of these textual variants. And we can talk more about this but it's accurate. Okay, why did God not give us the originals? Well, we can only surmise, uh, but let me first of all say he gives us way more evidence for the reliability of the Bible than any other ancient document. So that should tell us something. Second thing, this could be that he doesn't want to give us too much evidence so that we have no choice but to believe. I think it was two weeks ago we talked about this. I don't have to believe that the Son exists. That's a no brainer. It doesn't take faith. And maybe God thought that giving us the originals was too much proof and would not require faith. Most people choose to believe what they want to believe. And if you want to believe Dan Brown, there's just enough little bit of there that you can do that. But God also gives us so much evidence so that our faith is not mindless, it is not stupid, our faith is reasonable. To believe in the Bible that it's true has very, very good evidence. The Bible has come under more scrutiny than any other document in history. It has been examined under a microscope, and it has stood the test. Far and away, the New Testament is the best attested ancient document from the Greco-Roman world. The New Testament is a minimum, a reliable record. Jesus did come as the Son of God. He did die on the cross, rose again. It tested by over 500 people. Last week, we talked about there's a 97% probability that the resurrection happened. Now, you don't have to believe in the resurrection. You don't have to believe the Bible is accurate. You can say it's full of myths and legends, but the evidence is overwhelming that what we have today was written 2,000 years ago within one generation of the actual events. Probably the first song you ever learned, either at home or in Sunday school, was Jesus loves me, this I know. Or the Bible tells me so. <clears throat> that Bible is accurate. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for giving us a document that can, we can be certain is accurate and reliable. Thank you for evidence that supports faith. And thank you for revealing yourself in so many ways. And, And I pray that we will be able to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have and that we would do it with gentleness and respect. Thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus, the ultimate word, that we pray. Amen.